Section number 36 of Narratives of Colored Americans. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Narratives of Colored Americans by Abigail Mott and M.S. Wood. Old Susan by Gertrude L. Vanderbilt. Bless the Lord, I'm pretty well, and Granny's no wuss. I heard the voice below my window just as the dawn of a bright summer day was coloring the eastern horizon. Then another question was asked by the cook below as she threw open the shutters, but I could only hear old Susan's reply. No, I can't come in. I'm up so early to look for wood to build the kittle. Granny'll be wanting breakfast. Soon after, I saw the poor old woman bent almost double with the weight of faggots on her back and her check apron filled with chips and corn cobs from the wood yard. I raised a sash and called her. Aunt Susan, do come in. Flora will get your breakfast and you can take some home with you for Granny, said I. She lowered the bundle of faggots from her shoulders and pushed back the long gingham sun bonnet as she looked up at my window. Bless your heart, child, but I couldn't, wouldn't. She shook her head very decidedly and adjusted the red bandana turban which had been crushed down by the sun bonnet. You see, me and Granny ain't had family prayers yet this morning. That's it. Obliged to you just the same. I suggested that our Heavenly Father would not reject prayers that were offered after breakfast. She looked up at me as I leaned from the window to catch the glory of the sunrise and said, with rather a touch of sadness in her tone, No, child, y'all hadn't ought to think so. The Lord first and everything else afterwards. If you eat or if you drink, do it all to the glory of God. But it ain't to his glory if you please yourself first. I'll be round by me. Then we explained the matter together, and reloading her tired shoulders, she tottered off under her burden. This poor colored woman, bent down by her seventy years of sickness and poverty and hard work and constant care, had a conscience so tender that nothing could have induced her to partake of the proffered meal before she had offered up her morning prayer. At least the act might seem like a want of reverence and respect. This was not an occasional spematic outburst of piety. She seemed always anxious to talk about God and, as she could not read herself, to hear others read about him. I never knew one who seemed to be in such constant and close communion with God. In my visits among the poor, I remember calling out at her door one day and being obliged to wait some time after knocking, although I heard her voice within. I was surprised that she should keep me waiting, for she had such a delicate sense of the duties of hospitality that she was particularly careful not to oblige a visitor to remain standing at her door. I soon discovered that she was engaged in prayer. One greater than any earthly guest was with her. It almost seemed as if she pleaded before one who was visibly present. She waited and wept. She urged, entreated, and earnestly pleaded. Then gradually her tone changed, and her voice rose in prayer and loud hallelujahs 
and then she was silent. I knocked once more, and hastily now she threw open the door. The traces of tears were still on her cheeks and in her poor, dim eyes. Welcome, welcome, she explained. Come in. The Lord's been with me this day. Praise and bless his holy name. I had such a blessed time. Then she dusted the old spare seat her poor room afforded and placed it so that she seated herself upon her bed. She should face me. Oh, child, she exclaimed, the prayers that's gone up from this poor shanty for you and the Sunday school. Days gone right up from this poor, low, mean place, right up through this old roof, straight up to the great white throne. And she clasped her hands and looked up as if she saw the vision beyond. God's holy angels has heard them. Jesus listened to them, and God's treasured them up, and they'll come down in blessings when old Susan's dead and gone. When I gets rid of this miserable, sickly body and rises up to where my prayer's gone before me, oh, how I'll sing with the holy angels, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. She used to go off in these rhapsody frequently. She had dull, prosaic neighbors who never got excited over praise or anything else. And they used to say that old Susan was crazy when she prayed. In alluding to this, she once told me, smiling, that she was going to ask the Lord to make them crazy in her prayer. She thought a little more earnestness on the subject would be an improvement. Her faith was so strong that it seemed to have an element of sublimity in it. It was grand. The extreme poverty in which she lived and her reliance upon others for her comfort in life made her realize her dependence upon our Father in heaven more strongly than those who live in ease and luxury. She has often said to me, I am poor and sick, broken down with hard work, crooked and bent with rheumatism. My wrists are so weak and my fingers so stiff that I can hardly pick up chips. Boys often laugh at me in the street because when I bend down, I cannot always get up again. Sometimes my fire goes out and I have nothing to eat until the Lord sends some kind friend with food. But bless the Lord, I am going home. The Lord is my father and in my father's house there is plenty more than enough. Oh, when I get home, dear Lord, dear Lord, when I shall reach my home, I shall forget all the troubles I have had in this poor shanty. Looking at her in her poor room, I have often thought that if possible, heaven would seem more glorious to her, coming out of distress and misery, sickness and want, darkness and cold, into the full blaze of heavenly light. She was very grateful to those who paid her rent. Of one lady in particular, she often spoke to me with great affection. She said to me once, naming this lady, she is to be paid back every cent. It was spoken with such earnestness that I involuntarily looked around as if I expected to see someone standing there with the money. She smiled and told me she had been reminding God of his promise to pay her debts. I once called on passing to leave some dinner for her. She met me at the door and insisted on my coming in. I know you was coming, she said, for I had nothing to eat 
and I prayed the Lord to send me something. Well, I replied, he has heard your prayer and has sent this to you. She placed a dish on her stove to keep warm, and then she began to talk a prayer. I does pray for you, she said, and for Mr. and Mrs. L and Miss C. I praise for all the world, but the Lord let us choose out those who's good to us and pray for them most of all. Mr. L has been so good, so good to me, never getting tired of being good to me. Oh, I do pray for him. She paused and sat thinking a moment and then added, Well, Aunt Susan stops a praying. She'll be cold and dead. Aunt Susan was by no means a gloomy Christian. She had a sense of humor and was often very quick-witted in reply. During those terrible riots in New York, in which so many of her race fell victims to the mob, she fled to her white friends for protection. Sometime after this, when she was speaking of her faith and her trust in the Lord, an Irish Roman Catholic taunted her with having failed to trust in the Lord at that time. Her reply was very characteristic. Did you ever read in the Old Testament of a man named Lot? she asked. Well, Lot showed his faith by running away, and so did Aunt Susan. In relating to me this story, she laughed very heartily and concluded by saying, You see, as I understands it, Lot showed his faith by leaving his home and flying according to the command of the Lord, and Aunt Susan did just the same, for I showed my faith by using the means that the Lord had appointed and not tempted the Lord by staying behind, just so. Old Susan's family consisted of her aged mother, at that time in her hundred and first year, her dog Prince, her cat Tom, her hen Toby, a more aged and decrepit family were surely never before gathered under one roof. If I had been told that old Dina's age was 120 from appearances, I should have been inclined to believe it. Smoking was the sole recreation which years had left her. Susan would fill her pipe at intervals during the day, and after using it, Dina would sit gazing vacantly around her until it was refilled and placed in her hand. The dog, proportionately to canine years, had reached an equally advanced age with his mistress, and his scabby back gave him the appearance of having been eaten by moth. The cat and the hen had reached a greater age than the time usually allotted to their species. Each would sit for hours perfectly motionless on the doorstep, as if musing on the singing and exhorting they were constantly hearing within the house from their old mistress. Susan was very fond of animals and seemed to have a curious power in taming and controlling them. I once told her that had she lived earlier, she might have been taken up for a witch, with Tom and Toby as her familiar spirits. Old Susan's faith led her to believe that she could see the hand of God in even the most trifling events of life, and that, as he was leading her and teaching her through these means, she should be ever on the watch, so as not to lose the lessons his providence set in her way. She came to me one day with the utmost gravity to tell me of a lesson in resignation. This pet dog, through some inadvertence, had eaten a portion prepared for rats. 
Her tender heart was much troubled by the suffering so carelessly inflicted. Just before extinguishing her light at night, she turned to Dinah and to let her tell her own story as she told it to me. Says I, Granny, look your last on poor Prince, for you'll never see him alive no more. Then it kind of struck me that I wasn't resigned, so I kneels down and I says, I, oh Lord, he's been a faithful dog to me. He's watched over my things many a day when I was out of begging for daily bread. He's been very faithful. But if I give him up to the Lord, if the Lord says his time's out, I'm giving him up. Eyes resign. Next morning, I opens the windows, and behold, there's Prince, just as well as ever. Says I, Granny, the Lord has given back to me. He was just a trying my faith. His will is the best for us all. Ye must learn that, Granny. That's the lesson from this providence. Old Susan still lives, but her faculties seem gradually failing, while life yet retains hold in her weak frame. She is helpless, poor, and old. While earthly matters seem fading out of her memory, her thoughts still cling to things above. In my last tract distributing visit to her room, I found her holding an open testament with the leaf folded down at the 14th chapter of St. John's Gospel. She cannot read, but she sat pathetically looking at the text. As I entered, she exclaimed, Oh, read it, read it for me. It seemed as if her faith, so sorely tried by her long waiting and her earthly sufferings, was for a moment wavering, as I slowly and distinctly read the words, In my father's house are many mansions, etc. The glimmering rays rekindled. Her faith reasserted itself. Yes, yes, she exclaimed. I knew it was so. I knew it was written somewhere there. Now I remember it. I'll yet have a home in my father's house. As I looked at the poor, worn-out frame, the weak, helpless hands, the wrinkled face, and the dim eyes, my faith could see through these the glorious spirit that should one day arise and take its upward flight towards the heavenly mansions. End of section number 36, read by Kevin Waters, Spring Hill, Florida, August the 9th, 2021.